Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and he spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down beside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels? Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had pro prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother 
whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go back to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if not you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And he will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed from a master's son. Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, and the horse son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring in her nose and bracelets on her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank. They spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while. At least ten days after that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may call 
that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode in the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went in his way. Now, Isaac had returned from Berlairai, the dwelling of the Negeb, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of God, and we give thanks to him. Well, as many of you know, in November last year, after 35 years of singleness, why is that funny? <laughs> I stood at a church altar, declared my undying love, and walked out of that church with a bride by my side. Let me tell you, miracles still happen. <laughs> in the days leading up to our wedding, and in the days and weeks thereafter, lots of people came up to me and asked me about what became my they asked about the wedding day itself. Where did it take place? What was it like? Did things go according to plan? They asked about my bride. What's her name? Where's she from? What's she like? And they asked about our relationship itself. How do you get on? What do you do? What do you like together? But of all the questions people asked about our marriage, without doubt, the single most popular question and the single most interesting question to anybody that showed any interest at all is how did you meet your bride? Not how did you meet your bride, you might be thinking, but how did you meet your bride? How did it all begin? Every single one of us loves a good love story. We love to hear about them, we love to read about them, we love to observe them, we love to experience a good love story. But of all the different aspects of a relationship, it's often the beginning that we find most interesting of all, because it's the beginning that gives us such an insight into who a person is, what they're like, and what the relationship is all about. This evening in Genesis 24, we're in a chapter that's all about a love story. This is a beautiful love story. And as we focus in on what might be one of the most interesting aspects of all, the beginning, 
What Genesis 24 is going to do is give us an insight into the greatest love story of all time. Now, before we jump into the details of Genesis 24, it's important that we understand where we are in the book. Genesis 24 is part of a bigger section that runs from about 21 to 27 that focuses in on the person of Isaac. And Isaac is a key figure in the book of Genesis because Isaac is the son that God promised to give Abraham. He is, and hold this phrase, and let's hold this in our heads tonight, he is God's promised son. It's through Isaac that God will fulfill his covenant promises of bringing forth a mighty nation through Abraham. And through Isaac, he will bless Abraham and all of his descendants. Abraham is the promised, sorry, Isaac is the promised son. In 21, he's born, and in chapter 23, his mother dies. Which means that unless Isaac marries and has children, the promises of God will not be fulfilled. And it's only if we approach chapter 24 with that in mind of the promised son now seeking a bride that the promises of God might be fulfilled that we can really begin to appreciate something of the truths of this love story. So within that context, what are we told? Well, in verses 1 to 9, we're told that Abraham seeks a bride for his son. I want you to notice how he does it. We're told he asks his servant to put his hand under his thigh. Now, that might strike you. Seems a bit odd, doesn't it? If we heard that today, we'd be horrified at that. Why does he do that? Well, the thigh is close to the sign of the covenant. The sign, of course, of circumcision. And it seems that as Abraham asks his servant to put his hand under his thigh, he's recalling the covenant promises because it's in light of the covenant promises of God that Abraham now seeks a bride for his son. I want you to notice who this bride is going to be. We're told she is not a Canaanite, but from the kindred of Abraham. Not a Gentile, but according to Genesis 12, she's someone who bears the identity of the covenant family of God. And in verses nine, 5 to 9, someone who will enter the land, the promised land of God, which being the place where the covenant promises will come to fulfillment, this is a bride who will embrace the covenant promises themselves. For right at the very outset of this chapter, what we're being told is the bride, about the bride who is fit for God's promised son. And the only bride, the only bride fit for the promised son of God is one chosen by his father who bears the identity of the covenant family of God ready to embrace the promises themselves. Throughout the teenage and 
young adult stage especially, and I think particularly in church circles, relationships can be a major topic of conversation. And when conversations take place and guys and girls are looking for each other, they can often identify the one. The one that they want. The problem is, where and how do you find them? Do do you look in church or do you look in school? Do you go online or do you ask to be set up? Do you fish in your normal pools or do you go elsewhere? Do you visit a local church pretending to be interested in the sermon while really checking out the talent? (laughs) Where do you find the one? And if you can spot them, how do you go about approaching them? Do you put on your best? Or do you play it cool? Do you try to impress or do you be yourself? Where and how do you find the one? Well, verses 1 to 9, Abraham chooses a bride for his son, showing us who this person will be. And now in 10 to 14, now we're given an insight into where and how she's found. Notice what we're told. Verse 10, the servant is sent out with camels. Camels in the Old Testament are a sign of God's blessing. And notice where he goes. He goes, verse 11, to a well. Now that's interesting. A well, do you know that wells in the Old Testament are often where women are found? You can read that in the book of Exodus, the book even of 1 Samuel, you can read it throughout And in the dry, dusty lands of the ancient Near East, wells are a symbol of life because its water is found. She will be found at the symbol of life. As he now prays and asks God to provide him with someone who won't just give him the precious water in the dry, dusty lands of the ancient Near East, giving water to a stranger, but she'll even give it to his camels. Which not only would have been a remarkable act of kindness in the dry, dusty lands of the ancient Near East, but as he tells us in verse 24, would have been the outworking of God's covenant love as one transformed and provided for by God. the bride fit for God's promised son is one who being found at a symbol of life is one who herself will be a symbol of life as she embraces the promises of God transformed and provided by God herself so what's she like well notice in verse 15 her name is Rebecca That's the first time a Rebecca appears in the book of Genesis. This bride will be unique, special. We're told she'll come from Abraham's family in verse 15, exactly as Abraham requested. But notice that she goes even further than his request. Verse 16, she's a young woman. She's got her whole life ahead. 
She's presented as one who will have a longevity of life. And she's very attractive. In fact, the word here is stunning. This is one beautiful bride. And she's a maiden. Could be translated a virgin. She's presented as a pure and spotless bride ready to bring forth life itself, which is absolutely no surprise why the servant goes on, notice in verse 22, to give her gold. That's material fit for royalty as he recognizes her value and her worth to him. And in the form of a ring and a bracelet, which according to the book of Ezekiel is associated with celebration, notice the weight, half a shekel, and 10 golden shekels, she's of immense value, he gives it to her in celebration of her value and her worth. For this is a stunning, beautiful, astounding bride who not only does exactly as 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 the servant requests by giving him her water, But did you notice she empties her entire jar before then surpassing even his expectation of inviting him back to her home? For the kind of bride that is fit for God's promised son is one who will surpass the imagination of man bearing the identity of God's covenant family will shine with beauty and purity in longevity of life ready to bring forth life itself. This is a stunning bride. There's one more detail about this bride we're given. In fact, it's spelled out for us in verses 29 to 61. A large chunk of this chapter is dedicated to this one detail because notice we're told that Laban, her brother, appears. We're not told why Laban appears. It would seem that typically her father would appear at this point in the story, given in the Old Testament, a daughter remained under the authority of her father until marriage. As others will point out, it seems maybe that her father is elderly and so Laban appears to present it as the kind of the practical or functional head of the household at this point. And the servant now tells him in verse 36 that the reason really that she's required is to bring forth the promises of God. And I want you to notice how Laban responds. responds in verse 49 and 50 and 51 maybe best of all in 51 take her and go he responds to the request of the servant in faith faith in God and his promises before the camera now focuses in on Rebecca and in verse 58, how does she respond? I too will go. 
the one characteristic that Moses wants to highlight for us this evening is that above and beyond everything else, this is a bride, and all related to her abound in faith. Faith in God and faith in his covenant promises. I mentioned earlier that often in teenage and young adult years especially, particularly I think in church circles, relationships can be key topics of conversation. And when those conversations take place and guys and girls are looking for each other, they can often list the kind of person that they want. Often you hear lists like they need to be hot. They need to be fit. They need to be sculpted. They need to be rich. They need to be cool. They need to be popular. They need to be successful. They need to be smart. They need to be fun. They need to be fill in the blank. Not one of those details appears in Genesis 24. Because the bride fit for God's promised son is none of those things. This is a bride who surpasses all imagination. Who shines in beauty and purity, belonging to God. Embracing an identity of belonging to him and being his. And abounding magnificently in faith. That's the bride fit for God's promised son. A number of years ago, I was living in Philadelphia. And I was in the kitchen making a tuna sandwich. And in walked a guy from the Middle East. And I got talking to him, and he told me he was in Philadelphia that week because he came to get married. So I asked him, well, for how long have you been with your future bride? You know what he said? I haven't met her. <laughs> you haven't met her? I said, when are you going to marry her? He says, Thursday. <laughs> You're marrying your bride on Thursday and you've never met her? Yeah, what's the problem, he says. I think the reason you and I might be horrified at that, putting aside all the cultural differences, the reason we might be horrified at that is because we wonder, well, how would we respond? How would we respond if we were presented without ever having met our future spouse? How would we respond in a situation like that? Well, in these final few verses of Genesis 24 and 61 to the end, now we're told how Isaac and Rebekah respond as they meet. Don't miss the details here. Notice what we're told. Verse 62, Isaac is out in the field, and verse 63, he's meditating in the field. Why does it tell us that? Meditating. Well, that word meditate is often associated with Focusing on God's word. You see that in the Psalms. And I wonder 
if in the field as he's focusing on God's word, which to Isaac at this point is the covenant promises God has made to his father, I wonder if he's in the field in the evening looking up at the stars, recalling the promises of God, that he will bring forth a mighty nation of people as innumerable as the stars in the sky. And as he's looking up, perhaps, at the covenant promises of God, now comes the bride fit for God's promised son. And notice how he responds as she comes. He sees, and in verse 67, he brings her into her tent, so they became wife, and he loved her. And he was comforted after his mother's death. Put that in a different way. He's now assured that the promises of God will be fulfilled. For when God's promised son meets his perfect bride, they enter into faithful, fruitful union forevermore. I mentioned earlier that last November, I got married. And in the run-up to the wedding, Danielle and I contracted a baker in Belfast to bake us a wedding cake for the big day. And two weeks before, we went along, picked up a little box of sample wedding cakes, real cakes that we could eat in anticipation of a greater day to come. And let me tell you, we enjoyed every bite. Genesis 24 is a real story. This is a real love story of God's promised son together with his bride. And as you read on into the rest of the book of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, you read how God brings his promises to fulfillment through his promised son together with his bride. But as beautiful as Genesis 24 is, This is a love story in anticipation of a much greater love story to come. A love story where God wouldn't just bring forth a nation of people who he would bless in this life, but a nation of people who he would bless in the life also to come. With the greatest blessing of all, blessing of salvation from sin. Because it was through God's ultimate son, the promised son, that God would bring forth a mighty nation. Not of physical descendants necessarily, but of spiritual descendants, descending from all four corners of the globe. That as God the Father would choose a bride for his son. For it was his son, the Lord Jesus, for the Lord Jesus, that God the Father would choose a bride, not an individual like in the case of Rebecca, but a people. A corporate bride he would call his church. A bride who, just like Rebecca, would be chosen on the basis of God's covenant love. A bride who, just like Rebecca, would bear the identity of being part of God's covenant family, coming to embrace the covenant promises of God, 
be just like Rebecca, but be provided for and transformed by God himself through the life and death, sacrificial life and death of her groom, the Lord Jesus on the cross. That through the cross of her groom, the Lord Jesus, as he dies for her sin and rises again the new life, he would rise again that his bride might be a public symbol of life. Just like Rebecca, she would be unique, special. Unlike Rebecca, she would be beautiful, pure and spotless through his cross. And just like Rebecca, she would live in longevity of life, eternal life. She lives a life abounding in faith through an eternal, fruitful, and faithful union with the ultimate promised Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For as beautiful as this love story is in Genesis 24, this is a story that points us to a much greater story a story that Jesus spoke about himself to a woman at a well in John chapter 4. The story of the promised son, the Lord Jesus, and his bride, the church. Every single one of us loves a good love story. But whether this evening you have experienced your own love story with your spouse, this is a love story this evening for every single one of us. In fact, as I heard a preacher said about a a different passage years ago, this is the love story that you and I were made for. You see, the reason you and I love a good love story is because that's how God made us to be. He designed us for union with him. And even though you and I are born into a state of divorce, you could say, separate from God in our sin and rebellion against him, Jesus Christ, by his word this evening, is coming to us and calling us to turn away from our sin and come to him, the Savior, the promised Son that through his life and death and resurrection, he might transform us and renew us and embrace us as his beautiful bride. So this evening, whether you have experienced a love story of your own, hear the God of heaven and earth call you to come to himself. And may you receive him and embrace him and forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and renewal and cleansing in him. And as you do, just as Rebecca shone as a beautiful bride, displaying the goodness and grace of God, just as she abounds in faith, embracing the the identity of being a covenant member of God's family, in longevity of life, may you too you embrace Christ the groom, may you display his, the beauty 
and purity and uniqueness of the bride of Christ. As you live in worship of him, united to your grim, as Jesus Christ completes the ultimate love story right here in Rich Hill. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening and we thank you for the profundity of the Bible. This is the revelation of God. And this evening you reveal yourself to us as the groom. I pray this evening, Lord God, that we would not miss the opportunity to come to Christ. And through the promised Son, through his life and death and resurrection, may you embrace us as your own. And then as the bride of Christ, may we shine with beauty and purity as we embrace the covenant promises of God in this life and into the life to come, in fruitful, faithful union with you. May we do so here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.